Welcome to the Pixie Dust Podcast. My name is Ashwini and I am your host. The goal of this podcast is to inspire the next generation of founders. Today we're joined by Avni Barman. Avni is the founder of Generation She, an organization that hosts conferences, provides resources, and nurtures a growing community of high school girls to be the leaders of the global workforce of tomorrow. She recently graduated from USC with a degree in arts technology and the business of innovation, alongside with a minor in computer science, and is currently living in San Francisco, working as an associate product manager at Atlassian. I'm here with my good friend, Avni. She is the founder of Generation She, and she'll be sharing some of her journey with us, some of her exciting anecdotes and just trials and tribulations of launching Generation She. Avi, why don't you tell us a little bit about what Generation She is? Definitely. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. This is so exciting. So so Generation She is a nonprofit that works on exposing young teenagers to entrepreneurship. And we do this through resources, programming, everything from hosting makeathons to having an online Slack community for those girls to get to know each other. And we're on a mission to close the gender gap by instilling entrepreneurship and ownership in these young girls. So I love that mission so much. While I was in college, I was president of the Women of College of Computing and I remember seeing your posts about She Leads and your Makeathon and just being in awe of like all the work you've been doing and how much impact it's having. Your videos on the Gen She channel are amazing and it just shows the impact you guys are having with so many girls. Um, and I'm excited that, you know, I joined the team later on and we're working hard to create this year's Makeathon virtually, but I'd love to hear more about how Generation She came to be. How did you come up with the idea and what did it look like in the very early stages? Yeah, that's a honestly long question. <laughs> um, I, for me, I think it, it's, it's actually been I'm like a pretty long journey. I've always been fascinated by technology growing up in the Bay Area, and so I would do a lot of internships in the summer at tech companies. Being the only female on my team was something I was super familiar with. Didn't really have a problem with it. I kind of accepted it as a norm. However, um, one summer I interned at LinkedIn, and I think potentially I came in with just larger expectations because they're a giant organization. I was aware of their their diversity um, initiatives and I thought that it would be different going into this. And I was still, again, like every other summer, the only female on my team. And that got me really thinking about this, this problem. If regardless of the fact that there's great awareness about the lack of women in the workplace and we are actively trying to do things to help close this gender gap. How come we're not really moving the numbers that fast? And the, the number of women in these tech leadership roles are severely lacking. And so that was kind of when I started my mission of better understanding like why this was an issue and what can we do differently to help um, close this gender gap. And so I looked at a bunch of like, as you know, there's so many nonprofits and organizations today that are actively working to close this gap. And um, I was trying to better understand what can we do differently that will better tackle this issue and hopefully um, get closer to solving this problem. And so that's when I started 
um, talking to a bunch of female founders and um, talking to a bunch of young girls, trying to understand like what we can do. And I think one of the most resounding patterns I found was that many of, well, I think two things were like two of my key takeaways. One was I found that many of the successful female founders had one common pattern and that was on a very early age, they had an exposure to entrepreneurship and they had a significant role model in their life that influenced them to pursue this career path from a very early age. So that was like my first insight. My second takeaway was, um, though we were doing a lot to recruit more women in tech, tech positions and, and also like other industries as well, we know that even in finance and business, like women are lacking. We were doing a lot to recruit women, but we weren't doing anything to retain these women. When we joined these companies of already pre-existing male-dominated cultures, how do we create an environment where women are thriving and they want to stay and they naturally feel a part of the community upon the first day of onboarding? And so I realized that culture doesn't come from HR. Culture comes from leadership. And if we don't have women at leadership levels, how can we create balanced, diverse, positive cultures at these companies. And so that was where I thought, okay, what can we do to A, help bring more women into these leadership positions? And two, how can we expose young girls to this at an early age so that they're much more likely to succeed when they start pursuing this, uh, pursuing these career paths? And so that was not exactly where Generation Tree was, but I, I actually never really went out there like, okay, I want to start a nonprofit. I want to start a company. That was never really like my first goal. I, I think I was just curious and really passionate. So I thought, okay, this is a hypothesis I have. Let me try something. And I decided let's put 150 high school girls in a room. Let's see if they're capable of creating companies and thinking about entrepreneurship at that age. And let's see what they do. And so I was in at USC at the time in Los Angeles. And so we hosted our, we hosted a two day conference at Snapchat headquarters where we brought 150 girls in a room and we brought inspiring female leaders and we brought um, people who can teach them workshops and marketing, design, engineering. And we said, okay, you have 48 hours. Can you come up with an idea that solves an existing problem and pitch it to us? And these girls absolutely blew our minds. They created, they created um, solutions to problems I could have never thought of. And they came up with full on business plans and prototypes to showcase their idea. And they presented it in front of the entire audience. And then after the event, we just had overwhelming feedback about how much the girls enjoyed the two days, how much they learned and that most of them had completely pivoted their idea of what they wanted to do in the future and where they saw themselves in their future career and wanting to pursue and at least the minimum explore entrepreneurship, creating impact in their society and being a leader. And so it was in that moment I realized that I think potentially we had started something much bigger than an experiment or a hypothesis or a, an event that I um, wanted to try out. And, and I, I felt like that was I needed to do something more and that's where Generation Chi was actually launched after this event and we created an organization out of it. So what I love so much about that is that you prioritize and really focused on validating your theory or your idea before incorporating, before going into all the business focused things, if that makes sense. So can you talk us through a little bit more about how you set up the Makeathon? How did you get 
the girls to even come? How did you get the speakers? What made you think to format the makeathon in that way, as opposed to it just being like a bunch of speakers talking? Like, I'd love to know kind of what what you were thinking when you were putting together the makeathon. Yeah, of course. And so I think like what you said is is pretty true. Like I was really focused on trying to better understand the root problem and validating my hypothesis before really like launching something big. And so this about this time um, was around January of my of 2019. So this was my second semester senior year. And when I truly kind of landed on this conclusion of what I thought could potentially improve the problem. And I said, okay, like, how can I bootstrap this event? I, I like a couple months before I graduate, I want to do this um, while I'm a student and I have that flexibility. Um, as you know, like being working full time is really different than being a student, right? Um, so I was like, okay, I have a few months to do this. I need, I need to try this out and, and see if this works and see what they do. And so I think, I mean, two things I had definitely going for me at the time. One was I studied at the Ivan Young Academy and was getting a degree in arts, technology, and, and business. And so a lot of the curriculum and the way that I put on this event had a lot to do with actually my, my learning in college and the way that I got my degree and what I learned. And so I was able to put a lot of that in practice. And our team at the time, actually, most of these, most of these team members were from the Ivan Young Academy itself. So being able to Im imbibe that thinking into everything that we created that those two days um, was huge and, and really prevalent in the curriculum. And then the second thing that I had going for me is um, I've always been super passionate about closing the gender gap in technology. I led this girls in tech chapter um, on campus at USC throughout my four years, of, uh, for three years of my, of my college um, career. And I also, um, took this opportunity to um, invest in my network and build a community of incredibly inspiring female leaders, um, honestly, all across the university and even broader, like all across the world. And so I definitely had this um, network of women who I could tap into, ask for advice, ask to come speak, ask to help sponsor, connect me to the right people to make this happen in two months. And so I think like two things, these two things were something that um, I was able to quickly like launch this event, but at the same time when I was coming up with what my hypothesis and, and trying to figure out how can I validate it, I didn't just ask myself the question, how can I validate this hypothesis and really prove that um, high schoolers are capable and this is something that we need to um, bring more exposure to at that, at that age level, but I also asked myself, what are my skills and resources that I have today that I can utilize to create the most impact? I think that's a really important question that early entrepreneurs need to ask themselves because if from the very first day you, of you trying to start this company or launch this idea, you think, okay, like, let me just start creating and building this, you're, you're probably going to fail because you haven't created the infrastructure and foundation in place to create this. Well, the, the better question to ask yourself is, what do I have today? What is the unique value that I bring to the table? What have I invested in these, these past couple years that makes me the right person to tackle this problem and specifically the right way to, at the, at the minimum, test my hypothesis? And so when I launched this conference, I wasn't thinking, Gen what generation she is, it's 
a brand that does conferences. That's not what I was thinking. I was thinking, okay, I want to start a movement. And I think that I'm in a unique position where I've invested in my network and that I, I think that I'm in the right program to kind of create the curriculum for this makeathon. So thus, I'm going to test out this hypothesis through a conference. What comes out of that, my learnings, building that community, investing specifically in the community of young high school girls interested in leadership and entrepreneurship, that I do every single day. But does that mean that's the future of Gen Chi and that what um, we're probably going to do forever? Unlikely, but rather it's, okay, what can I do first to create the most immediate impact now for what I specifically bring to the table? And then from there, learning and iterating and adapting to create this future business or this future mission that you have um, to and see that through. I love that because what I do a lot when I ideate is I jump all the way to the end. I'm like, what will this look like? I get all in the clouds, like dreaming. I'm like, oh my God, like, this is what we'll charge for. We'll have like bajillions of users. Oh wait, no, people won't like that. And I convince myself out of the like final outcome, like, oh, that's way too like unreachable, unreachable. That's just not something that I can realistically achieve. So I love what you say where it's like, take a look at your current toolbox, your current network, whatever you've built up for yourself, and then see what you can do with your current skill set or your current resources. And then you can build up as you go, you'll gain more tools and then you can reach that pinnacle, but there's no reason to shoot for there like immediately and get discouraged or not put yourself out there. I also love the approach of validating every step where it's kind of like, we're not making this like serious brand yet or necessarily like deciding what our mission is or anything. I just have a theory. I have something I wanna do. I feel like it would make impact. And we're gonna focus on this specific step and then we'll see what where that leads us. And I, I think that's so crucial. And I think it's really helped me as well, like talking to you and working with you at Genji. I think I've learned that as well, is that it's more about using what you have at hand and being really scrappy and like figuring it out, you know? Yeah. I think that's really cool. And definitely something that I think a lot of our listeners could benefit into. It's kind of harder to put in practice, honestly, <laughs> though, because I mean, I'm a dreamer, so I always jump to the very end and I think that it's very, and I think also the reason we jump to the very end sometimes is because we just don't know how to start. Yeah, and I don't want to like dreaming and, and thinking big and being visionary, like that should, that is in every entrepreneur and that's something that I definitely struggle with day to day. So I don't want to underestimate like that. I think in order to start a company and build something big, you have to be a dreamer at every step, but it's really understanding that balance and just understanding, like, like exactly what you said, just being scrappy. I, I think that's the key. Right. Yeah, it's about taking those steps, you know, it's like being, mm -hmm. it's like being a dreamer, but also very realistic with yourself and where you're at and how you can get there, you know, so I, I really and, like that. Yeah, and before you'll know it, you'll have the clarity of how you want to bring this vision that you have to execution. And, and by the time that you're ready for that, you'll realize that you've already invested in your audience, in your target audience that you're building for. And you, they've, they're already your loyal fans. You've already created this community and they're, they're waiting and they're ready with open arms to accept this product, service, business, whatever you have in mind. Um, and and it'll, it'll, just, it'll just fly from there, honestly. So how did you put together the team? Um, so, so actually, that's actually an interesting story. I'm like so grateful for my team. What ended up happening is I, again, like I said, like I didn't really have this idea of starting an organization or 
creating this company. So I wasn't out technically seeking a team at all. I was, um, I had a mentee in the Ivy Young Academy. I was just brainstorming this idea with her and just telling her my thoughts about it. And um, the next day, so in this program that I'm in, we have this maker space, it's called the garage. And that's where our classes are. And that's where we kind of, all of us hang out there. We build together, um, we ideate there. And so I'm just um, on a table with some friends. We're just doing some work and I have, um, and we have four, four cohorts. So there's freshmen, sophomore, junior, seniors, right? And so um, I'm a senior at this point. I'm just sitting on a table with some of my friends in senior year. And then um, about like, maybe I would say like six or seven um, girls from the, the sophomore cohort came up to me and these were friends of my mentee. And they, I, I, I didn't know them. I didn't know who they were. I'd never talked to them before. And, and they kind of came up to me and they're like, hey, like, um, I heard what you're building and we want to help. We want to be a part of this. Like, what can we do to be on your team? And I'm just like shocked at this point. I'm like, what? I did? First of all, having a team sounds amazing. Second of all, I had no clue like other people would be interested in doing this with me. And like, that was it. The, the team was started. And like every single day at Gen Chi, like I've been building this with the team. And I've had, I've been able to spar and ideate and create with some of the most talented people at, at, um, that I know. And, and I think like if there's anything that truly creates uh, or what makes this team so special is that we all come from the Ivy Young Academy. So immediately we are very like-minded and we come from a similar thinking and we have very similar passions as female entrepreneurs who um, want to pursue entrepreneurship in the future. And so I think that's one thing that I realized was I didn't actually have to go and like source and create a team. The team came to me because um, they were able to deeply resonate with the mission. And it wasn't, so, it wasn't an issue I had to convince them existed or a problem that was worth solving. It was something they had experienced every single day being a female entrepreneur. So immediately they had felt the passion and, and they wanted to solve the problem with me. And, and since then, like the team still exists. I mean, it's grown a lot more now. I mean, the team's like 22 people now, which is, which is amazing. And, and I'm just so grateful for them every day. But many of the founding members with me are, are still here like and we're just working I guess on this every day to, to try to see what we can what we can create and like who can inspire I guess okay so I have a I have a very important question for you there's no way this went off without a hitch like I want to know <laughs> what went wrong <laughs> like small things nothing serious obviously but like what were some times where you had to be scrappy or like figure out a different solution or like pivot? Cause I know that entrepreneurship is just a wild, wild ride. So I want to yeah. hear some of the <laughs> challenges that you face. Oh my God. There's just so many. In fact, like there's at least one a day, if not like <laughs> more. So I think, I think ch challenges and, and being able to go through the obstacles is just day to day of entrepreneurship. I can highlight some of the like, hilarious ones from the from the beginning stages um well so initially when we were like launching this conference we we had like no brand identity we had no credibility and like no one knew who we were we had no track record how are we going to convince 150 girls and and their parents honestly that they should a like buy tickets to this conference and b spend their entire weekend um 
with us. And so that was like the biggest first challenge was like, how do we do this? And how do we do this in three weeks, which is the only time I had because the event was in March. We decided to start planning this in January and we had to like kind of come up with some logistics, market it, whatever. By the time we launched it, it was, we only had a couple weeks to the event. I was like, it was go time. And so that was one of the, the first challenges I had to face, which was like, how do we convince these girls that were worth their time. And so the strategy that I implemented was purely word of mouth and through social media. And like, as someone who's like not that great at social media, this was something that like I completely winged, but we basically created an ambassador program. We said that if you um, effectively, we created these social media assets and we said, if you post this on your story and tag us, we'll give you a discount to the ticket. Um, and all we had to do truly was convince a few girls, honestly, it was like sister, sisters of friends, you know, and convince them to start posting. And before we knew it, it was going viral on Instagram. People were sharing, reposting. They were seeing their friends were going. They felt FOMO. They wanted to come too. Um, and we sold out like pretty much in three weeks and had a huge wait list at the end of it. Um, and that was, that was incredible to see first, like the power of social media and technology and like, I honestly, like, I think I underestimated that at that point. And, and to like, specifically the way that we created um, these social media assets, it, it wasn't, the focus wasn't on just marketing and promo and just laying out the event logistical assets, but more it was like, how can we engage our audience and also tell them to come to the event? So we had like, we would do Mad Libs, we would do like fun, like features of like, female founders and who were coming to the event. And then we would end with like, if this interests you, if, if engaging with this person's story um, is interesting, exciting, you're curious to learn more, this is a great place for you to like continue this passion. And so it was not just like using the power of social media and, and technology, but also giving, giving them something of value, like so they could learn and engage. And that or that just gave them like step one of trust like okay like they, they're offering something like let, let's see what more they have to offer I can tell you one more this is like just a, like a little bit more this is a little sillier but like we were in a legit organization we, we just like made it up and um, I didn't even realize this was so important in the beginning I, I knew at some point I was going to create a legit organization if things went well but as I said, this was just a hypothesis. I was just testing it. So there was absolutely no official paperwork. And we had all these sponsors and all, this, all these companies who wanted to partner with us because naturally we needed money to make this event successful. And so, so, we, so we needed these key partners and sponsors. And they're like ready to write us checks. And they're like, cool, like what's your, what's your tax ID? Because <laughs> we need like an official ID or organization ID to like give you this money so that like, it, and, and for the audience members, if you don't know, like in order for a company or a corporation to get some sort of benefit or incentive for donating is that they can write off their taxes for that donation. And so they need that tax exempt ID. So I was like, well, I'll be right back with one. And I was like, dang, like, what do I do? Like, I, I, like the government takes like six months for you to file this. Like I had to basically go to a friend and ask them if they could give like lend me their, literally lend me their tax ID and then have them send that nonprofit checks and then those checks would come back to us. So that kind so of like that's the definition of scrappy though, right? Like yeah. you have and a deadline you want to get it done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
So that was another really good example of like me investing years into building this network. Like, like I, I knew the right person to ask. I could, I could literally ask a friend who had a nonprofit to do this favor for me. And like, somehow we figured it out and now we now of course we have an official organization but we, we did not have the, that paperwork and that stuff in time for the conference is there any time where things didn't work out like i know you're super scrappy and you figured it out but is there ever a time where it didn't work out and you had to like scrap that strategy and try something completely different oh yeah completely um what one of our our actually one of our in, original initiatives was that at the end of this conference, we would pair the winners of the, the pitch competition with um, current successful female founders. And we actually built, like literally like built from scratch, coded this <laughs> mentorship platform, which would connect these pitch competition winners with these female founders. And they would go through these nine learning modules, um, everything from like creating your idea to like launching your business over the course of five months. And the, the point was you would work one-on-one -on -one with um, a successful founder, so you'd get that one-on-one -on -one feedback, they'd really help you build this business from scratch. As a high schooler, that was a really unique opportunity. Plus you would have like a unique role model in your life, another female founder to you can hopefully inspire you to afford. In my head, that seemed like amazing. I thought if I was a high schooler and I had that opportunity, I would just be like, absolutely. Sounds like, amazing to me. I would sounds amazing, I, right? Participate in that too. Like, no problem. <laughs> Completely <laughs> failed. Just, it was a whole disaster. Here I am thinking, this entire time I'm sitting here thinking, okay, like female founders, they, they don't have time. They're, they're, they're running full businesses. Like, this is going to be the problem. Like, these teenage girls, they're gonna they're gonna realize this is an opportunity of a lifetime, and like that's kind of where the the challenges will. So I focused a lot on trying to, I guess, eliminate the challenges from that front, making sure that these female founders were set up for success and that they were able to um, create give as much impact to their their mentee um, with as little limited time as possible. What I did not um, think about, or at least spend too much time thinking about, is that high school girls. Um, are in this unique place in their life where they're dealing with time management for the first time. High school, as you know, is extremely tough. There's so many, not just like academic pressures, but social pressures, societal pressures. You're not only have to like get good grades and like be popular in school, but you also have to um, do extracurriculars, do APs. Like there's just a million things. Plus on being a teen is just hard. So hard. I, I mean, I was all over the place when I was a teenager. Um, <laughs> And I, I just, I completely missed that part. And they just, they weren't able to keep up. They weren't able to, I guess, really utilize and, and, and get some, get impact from the program. And at the end of the day, it was, it started becoming one-sided. These female founders were ready to give their time and, and they just weren't able, they weren't reaching out. They weren't completing their projects. And I mean, in the end, it, 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 that, it was truly unsuccessful. And I'm not, I'm not actually ashamed of it. And I'm not actually like, sad that we did that or, or like I wish I'm like super happy we invested in this because I could have never truly understood a like why that why mentorship one-on-one -on -one mentorship was like was going to fail and like why that there was that particular um, application that we build was like not the best platform for this communication but I also really was able to get into the minds of teenage girls which was the audience that I was building for and so through that process, I learned so much. And like today, our mentorship program, I would say, is, is much more successful. Instead of pairing them one-on-one -on -one and kind of 
giving all the resources of one female founder to one girl. Now we onboard mentors onto our Slack community and everything from being like having girls kind of log on and interacting with these female founders um, through our virtual Zoom webinars to creating Slack channels, um, creating like bringing guests on to on to Slack and, and creating these channels and having them actually answer these girls' correct, um, questions one on one and really building a model like a self serve model where as much as this girl as much as um, this high school girl puts in that's exactly as much as they get out so that way we're we're bringing opportunity and resources fairly. Um, across all girls rather than just giving it to one and also making sure that the female founders time is being valued and um, being like appropriately allocated. So on another note, I've been thinking about this a little bit. How did you get sponsors to pay for the makeathon when you had never had a makeathon before and you didn't know how many girls were going to be coming? <laughs> yeah, great question. Uh, super challenging. Definitely like one of the hardest things I've ever done. And like you said, like we had no credibility and they questioned it for sure. That wasn't <laughs> something they, they, it's not like these companies were blindly trusting us. I think like two things that I think entrepreneurs and founders like definitely do all the time, but we, we just, it's not something we, we talk about. So I, I would love to normalize this, but we exaggerated. Like we basically said like this event is sold out. There's going to be these many girls. There's going to be like, like basically like, we didn't tell them that these things were still happening, that it hadn't happened. We just told them our goals. And we, we were like, it, it will happen. I have faith in our team. I have faith in our mission. And like, this will happen. So yes, we will have this many girls and it will be sold out. And th these are like all the things that are going to happen. And A, that, that gave us, um, that in their head was enough credibility to take a chance on us. Um, and B, like, I think when you have, when you're, when you're working really hard and you have enough faith in your model and like, you have limited time to grow. I think it's okay to um, exaggerate a little, a little bit and do what you need to do to like get things rolling. Um, and like naturally when as an entrepreneur, your timeline is not gonna perfectly overlap. So you're gonna able to like sell off the event and then get donations, right? Like that's just like not realistic. So A, I wanna normalize exaggeration. Like pretty much it's inherent in every marketing campaign of every company. So we should never feel bad as, as founders when like, this is what we need to do. This is truly the meaning of being scrappy. And I think the second, the second biggest thing that um, we needed to be in place for this to happen is just the, the basic law of large numbers. It's like the likelihood of more than one to 2% of people to respond to your emails is very slim. So if you say, I need 10 sponsors and you know that approximately, let's just say 2% of these people are, you're going to get 2% of responses. Then you know exactly how many emails you need to send to send to secure those 10 sponsors. And that's truly where the law of large numbers comes. It's like you knowing that in your head, you know that you just need to put in the work to secure that. And that's tough to hear at times because we have limited hours in the day, especially as founders, we are doing not just our job, but like also like everyone else's job a little bit. And so I think like the reality of the situation is that it, you just have to put in the work like, and, and by putting in the work, you will naturally become better at taking calls, better at formulating these emails and, and 
iterating on the way that you're presenting and marketing what you're selling so that by the time you're on the 10th call, the 100th call, like you've absolutely nailed it to the point where like you can probably convince anyone that this is worth their time. I think also something that I'm hearing from you is that you got to like just put yourself out there even if you don't know what you're doing and you seem so confident, but what advice do you have for aspiring founders who, who feel a lot of self-doubt and are like super nervous to like either like exaggerate, say the results they're going to get or like you have a lot of faith in yourself to know that those numbers are going to come out. Like what advice do you have for someone who wants to build up their confidence there? Yeah, I mean, I didn't have confidence. <laughs> I just pretend. It's just fake it till you make it, really. Oh, that, that, is a, that is a cliche that I really resonate with. You, you, you just have to fake it till you make it. You can't just, you can't see someone's like outward appearance of being confident, put together, and assume that's truly what they're feeling on the inside. But at the end of the day, if you want people to take you seriously, you do have to put, be professional and put on that, like, of like, I know what I'm talking about, and like be prepared to be confident when you're when you're speaking and you're trying to negotiate and find these sponsors find these partners i think the number one thing that you can't fake is believing in what you're doing has wings and has merit and is something that's worth um going for and so while i would highly suggest faking confidence because that's not something that um most people have and I definitely didn't have it what you can't fake is <laughs> what you can't fake is passion and really truly believing in what you're doing and so I think like if you don't believe in what you do wholeheartedly and you're not truly passionate about it then you're probably it's probably gonna they're gonna be able to tell it's gonna see through your message and like they're not gonna be able to believe in something that you don't believe in yeah, I totally feel that. It's like you got to convince yourself of the mission and what you're fighting for and use that kind of as like motivation to go out of your comfort zone. It's yeah. like, I'm the person for this. I have the tools for this. I want to make this happen. So I'm going to fake confidence for these 10 minutes while I'm on the phone with you. And I'm going to pretend that I've already got it all figured out. And then after I hang up the phone, I'll be like, never mind. Wait, I've got to send out like your mental emails. It's part of the process. Just don't do it on the phone. <laughs> Oh, that too. <laughs> oh, I've been there. I think another thing is like, it's not like the first time I picked up a phone, I, I just was like perfectly put together and I knew exactly what to say. Like, it, I failed so many times and eventually I just, I got over it. I was like, I had done it so many times that there was just nothing to be afraid about anymore. Yeah, you know that there's another phone call that's coming. It's not make or break if one doesn't go well or if they're not convinced or whatever. It's about finding the couple people who are. Mm -hmm. right so on the pixie dust podcast we love to inspire aspiring founders and i know you and i are, are very passionate about closing the gender gap so i thought we could discuss some maybe just brainstorm discuss some possible ways that we could continue solving this gender gap issue because i know that generation she really focuses on teenage audiences and teenage students to motivate them but one problem i see is that you know, once they graduate from Generation She and go into college, you know, how do we incentivize them to continue? Or even as we enter the, as we enter the professional field, like, as you mentioned before, like, maintaining that positive culture that cultivates diversity seems to be a challenge that a lot of companies are facing right now. So maybe we could just do like a little brainstorm where we talk about like, what we would love to see 
as solutions there? Yeah, I think like one thing that um, I think about a lot is kind of the tipping point for entrepreneurs, which is every entrepreneur reaches a tipping point where they finally make it, where their business is successful, the, it, it sticks with their audience. And it every tipping point comes with like a few failures in place, just because not that failures are bad, it's just like there's no way you can learn without failing in, in, in some way. And so, um, so first thing that I think I need, I think Genji can even do a better job of is just normalizing failure, that it's, it's just part of the process. And second, encouraging this from a very early age, because what happens with women is when we start this process, once we graduate college, we hit this tipping point at really disadvantaged points in our life when potentially want to start families or have babies. And I don't think any woman should have to pick between the two. Like they, they, should, they shouldn't be like mutually exclusive. And so I think the second thing that we have to do is really incentivize and encourage these young students to use, use the time in high school to start that journey so that when they're reaching their tipping points, they're reaching it at say 25 and not 30. Um, like take those four years extra that they have to really invest in themselves in their career and that they're not too young to be thinking about these things. And like being a high schooler does not make you less capable of learning about entrepreneurship. And at the end of the day, no one's asking these teen girls to start companies. All we're saying is to just be intellectually curious and just try things and put yourselves out there like you have nothing to lose. Um, and so I think that's something that I want to like at Genshi at, at least like work on normalizing and, and really, really making sure that girls understand this early on. I completely agree with you. I mean, even from my own personal experience, like it was built into me from a very young age to be perfect or a role model or, you know, if you fall down, you got to get back up and pretend you're fine. You know, like it's like very important that you stay poised and like you have your articulate and you figure out what you want to say before you're going to say it, you know, all of that. So I'm working on deprogramming a lot of that in my brain and telling myself like, it's okay to stumble. It's okay to throw yourself off the deep end and make a complete fool of yourself and be like, oh, well, at least I learned and just move forward. I think that it's so important showing them that failure is, you know, okay. Like even into college, I think it's just something that women grapple with their oh. entire, entire lives. Definitely. Like Gen Chi is specifically focused on teen girls in that niche market, but that does not mean that is the only age group <laughs> to invest in. Absolutely not. So completely agree with you. No, I mean, even at work, like we have a little group of women that chat and like there's so many conversations around like, do I feel comfortable going into this negotiation? You know, I've never, I've never felt comfortable asking for what I want or what I think I deserve. And it's like, why do we have that belief that we can't ask for what we deserve or that somehow we're going to be um, punished or like this, like that there's going to be some kind of issue. I can't even find the word for it because it just blows my mind. But like <laughs> that, that is like a thing. I mean, I feel like there's so many things we can do to really work on this, you know? So, I mean, I'm thinking just communities. Like I feel like communities are probably the best way to do this, just to connect women with people of all different kinds of backgrounds and hope that they can find someone that really resonate, that they really resonate with and that they learn from, you know? Because I think that it's all about community. Like even if you look back at one of our one of our speakers at the generation she community is Carmel Judd and she is 
her efforts are mainly focused on her nonprofit called Rising International that connects women in third world nations with financial opportunities to sell their jewelry across seas. But in that whole process, they've introduced women from California with women in Zimbabwe and South America. And I think even that experience has helped women grow and ask for more and expect more out of their experiences. So yeah, I think definitely. I think thinking people. Yeah, and I think community is is totally like where we need to continue like investing and thinking about. I think one thing that's going to be challenging moving forward is how do we create and sustain these communities virtually now with this yeah well that we're headed into. And um, I think there's there's a lot of room to grow there. I think all organizations are still figuring this out. There's a lot for us to learn, and I'm I'm definitely not I definitely don't have the answer, but. I do think that there's a lot of room here to really create something unique in this, I guess. No, I'm so, I'm so excited about this field. But one funny thing that I thought of today while, like you're mentioning um, our virtual world right now, is that there was a time when people didn't have laptops and then it became like kind of expected that everyone has a laptop or a phone. And now I think everyone will need head, headphones and a mic. Like that's just something that we all need, like a separate like podcast mic too. Right. Yeah, have our conversations because half the time I can't hear anyone at work. <laughs> yeah, definitely, and, and I think there's there's also the element there of like now all of a sudden because we're in this new world where things are virtually, we're actually building a, a larger gap between people who don't have the economic resources to have technology, to have Wi-Fi, to have laptops and phones, and so how do we continue to build these virtual communities without creating a larger divide between? these people who come from different economic backgrounds. And I think as an organization, like that is your duty to continue to think about this and make sure that we're consistently innovating around these constraints as we grow. And again, like I don't have the answer to this. It's something that um, our team is definitely working on every single day to, to try to figure out. And I know that it's something that we really care about. That's a good point. What is, how is Generation She transitioning in this new world. I know that the makeathons were in person last year and it was an incredible event, but where is Generation She where where is Generation She going in this new environment? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of us if remember when COVID kind of just quarantine had just started and COVID was a more of a new thing. We were like, okay, like we're just gonna need to get through this and it's like three months and six month challenge. Like then we can kind of start our lives and I think now we've reached a point where like we can't just sit around and wait for this pandemic to be over and then go back to doing things the way we were. I think at Generation Two specifically we have adapted our model to I guess bringing our events virtually and just not I guess waiting because originally the plan was we were going to have our next megathon in person once the pandemic and was better and, and people were we could do this in a safe and healthy way and and instead of waiting now, we've decided that we're going to have our makeup virtually. And so right now, things are in the works and we don't have everything figured out. But I think one of our biggest goals as an organization is how can we continue to bring our value proposition to the table in the same way that we did in person, also like virtually. So effectively recreating the physical interactive experience of makeup as closely as possible um, on Zoom. And that is that is something that we're going to have to be extremely creative and innovative with these new constraints because at the end of the day, um, 
the friendships and the community that was built by interacting in person at these events through workshops and you know just sitting next to a new friend during lunch or you know like creating like a project that someone does something similar and you similar with and you team up and now all of a sudden you you've created you've made a friend like a lifelong friend. like how do we effectively continue to bring that value proposition even through a virtual makeathon and and that that's one of our challenges right now is we want to make sure that we're not sacrificing the 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 key about the key value that or what makes Genshi unique, the reason why these girls come to our brand to learn to make friends. And we want to make sure that, that we, we uphold these values, even if our model is completely different. Well, we're coming close on time. So do you have any final advice for any aspiring entrepreneurs listening? Are there any, like three, maybe three things that you suggest that they focus on or that they remember as they work to create their ventures or ideate? to find out what they'd like to do. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not like, I don't have many years behind me. I don't have too much wisdom to impart, but I think the one thing that I try to tell um, people who ask me for advice is don't think too hard and just don't take yourselves too seriously. Um, and, I, and I really do mean that. Like, if you have an idea, if you, you want to start a business just do it like put it out there test your idea it can be as simple as a google form asking feedback or selling a boot something bootstrapped to your family and friends and in that process you will learn more about your target audience's habits and you'll know more if you're moving in the right direction and your next steps of like where this is needs to go will become just so clear as you, as you move along those ideas so don't sit on your idea. You're not going to get anywhere. I would just say, just put it out there. It can be really just any version of what you have in mind. And I would think the second thing that I would say is never dwell on a mistake or a failure. Again, a cliche, but really just so important and something that's really hard for us to put in practice, particularly perfectionists and Women tend to be perfectionists as well. And so I would say that failures and mistakes are actually blessings in disguise because there is no way for you to know that without you actually messing up and learning from it. And so the earlier you fail, the better because make your mistakes young and don't be too afraid to do things. If you think something that might not work out, it's fine. It probably won't, but like that's the only way you're gonna learn from it. And so I would say, Failures are actually blessings, disguises, and make your mistakes, make them now, make as many as possible, because the more mistakes you make and the faster you make them, the wiser you will get. I completely agree. I've learned so much more from just falling on my face than doing things perfectly. Like, Same, definitely. Well, thank you so much, Avni. I'll see you soon. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoy these conversations, please be sure to follow the Pixie Dust podcast and tune in next week for our next episode.